So glad you're here this evening. I know that everyone can say amen to the song service this evening, for sure. Worthy is the Lamb. And how can we sing songs like that and not be stirred in our spirit? I think that's what the Apostle Paul is referencing when he says, singing and admonishing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. I was certainly admonished by the song service this evening. I want to thank you for that. If you're visiting this evening, we want to thank you for being here. I hope that you find yourself a blessed person as a result of being here. The blessed man was a man who was healed of the palsy. I want to tell you, I believe that you can be that blessed man. I believe that all Christians have found themselves once they have obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ, that they can say they are truly a blessed man. The healing of the palsy is about that man. This is a familiar story with us, and I know that probably uh, you have heard this many, many times. I want to go through it with you this evening uh, from a Tennessee preacher's standpoint. I want you to look at it from my standpoint and my perspective, if you will, and I believe that uh, we will all say, once we understand this story and maybe have a better understanding, we know what it's like when we say, somebody asks you, how are you today? And you say, I'm blessed. I hear that a lot. But I wonder how we think about that being blessed. Are we talking about the reference to our health? Certainly that's a blessing. Are we talking about a reference to the amount of money we have in the bank? That's a blessing too. We can't do much without it. Here we see the story in Luke 5. If you'd like to take your Bibles, we're going to turn and we're going to read from this story and this narrative of a man whom I have entitled the blessed man. And I believe the principles that are taught here in this story are principles that can lead a blessing to your life and to my life. The scripture says, Now it happened on a certain day as he was teaching that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law sitting by who had come out of every town of Galilee, Judea, and Jerusalem. And notice, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. That's important that we understand that. The power of the Lord was present to heal them. And then, behold, being brought on a bed of a man who was paralyzed whom they sought to bring in and lay before him. And when they could not find how they might bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the housetop and let him down with his bed through the tiling of the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said to him, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered and said to them, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise up and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. We might read this story, and we might think this is another miracle healing of Jesus, and certainly it was. 
We might think that this only purpose for this is to show that Jesus could indeed heal people. And certainly that is one of the purposes. But I believe there's more to this story than that. And I believe that you and I need to bring this story home to us. And we need to look and we need to place ourselves in some of the conditions that were present that day. Verse 25 says, Immediately he rose up before them, took up what he had been lying on, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. You remember what we talked about last night, those of you over here. We were talking about glorifying God. And the importance of glorifying God and the failure in our life if we don't glorify God. We become a servant to whoever we decide to glorify or whatever we decide to glorify. Here we see this man glorifying God because of his healing. Those that were round about in verse 26 says, and they were all amazed. And they glorified God and were filled with fear, saying, we have seen strange things today. I particularly like that last phrase, strange things. It's things out of the ordinary, if you will. Things that we're not accustomed to, they saw it. They were all amazed. They glorified God in the respect that they recognized this is deity. They elevated Jesus in understanding this is not an, or, an, an, an average ordinary man. This is God. And they glorified him in that respect. There's a wide range of emotions in this story. I suspect that in this audience tonight, in whatever audience we're ever gathered in, whether it's an audience of 10, 20, or 20,000, there's always a range of emotions. There's some range of emotions today for you that uh, you're suffering. I believe that. This man was suffering. That's one group that we see as the particular uh, subject of this story, of this narrative, is that this man was a suffering man. I want to ask you tonight, what is your suffering? How are you suffering? Many people today are suffering mentally. Many people are suffering physically. Oh, we have a world full that are suffering spiritually. We might be fitting in this category tonight. How is life for you? Is life good for you? Do you wake up every morning and say, thank God I am alive? <laughs> or do you wake up every morning and say, oh no, another day. Because of my suffering. We see also in this story another group of people that I find interesting, and that's compassionate friends. I believe perhaps in this audience this evening we have compassionate friends. I believe that we have people that are deeply concerned about you who are suffering. I believe that this church, this particular congregation, great congregation, would not have what they have here, what you have here, if you were not compassionate. We have to have compassionate friends. We might see another group in this story, too, are people that were angry. I, might, I think probably we have some angry people here. I certainly have struggled with it in my life. 
I don't think it's abnormal to think that you go through life and not be angry and maybe even become a critic. They were Jesus critics. Can you imagine to be Jesus critics? But I want to tell you the world is filled today with Jesus critics. I saw an interview where a man asked a young man, he said, on the day of judgment, where do you want to be? I was appalled by the answer. He said, I want to be as far away from your God as I could possibly be. What a critic of God. Maybe in your own life, you're a critic of Jesus. Things happen to us, circumstances happen to us, and we don't understand why. And then we become critics of God. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the foolishness of that? To be a critic of God. Well, I don't know why I'm going through this. God must not love me. I didn't ask for this. And then we try to come up with every scenario possible to lay the blame on God. These men were critics of Jesus. They sat there and they saw a wonderful miracle. And they became cynical. You know, there's only a hair's difference between being a critic and being a cynic. Maybe, maybe just a couple of letters. I don't know. And we have to struggle also with cynicism in this world too. But if I'm not careful, I'll let my cynicism become into being a critic. A critic of everything that goes on. Did you hear about the family of critics, by the way? They went to church. They hadn't been to church in six months. They went to church for the first time in six months. And they were sitting around their dinner table at the end of the service after they'd come home. And the dad says, well, I thought that was a pretty poor service, to be frank with you. Went too long. The mother said, I know, that song leading was terrible. Just a critic of it. And you know, there was a woman behind me that sang off key. The little girl said, well, I couldn't sleep very well on the pew. It was too hard. And the little boy said, I thought it was a pretty good show for a nickel. You know, that sounds kind of insane. But if we listen to ourselves, we might become that same critic and become cynical of what people are doing and how they're doing it. I'd much rather live in my life instead of being a critic of someone and believe you me, I've been one, and I've been the cynic, and I still struggle with it every day, but I'd much rather be that long-suffering individual and give the benefit of the doubt that that person is doing the best they could do. The cynicism came and the critical uh, eye came to the point that when they saw Jesus perform this miracle, they started tearing it apart. And became a critic of God. Lastly, we see a group here that is focused around our Savior. And we see a result of the compassionate Savior. We see one who loves us, who seeks the best for us, who is a healing Jesus, who could take the, take the lame and the paralyzed, could take the blind man, could take the dead man, and restore.
because he's compassionate. Let's look at these groups briefly this evening. First of all, let's look at the suffering man. This man was sick with palsy. He was paralyzed. How long has he lived in this condition? I don't know. We might surmise that he'd lived in this condition all of his life. I do know this, that when we have physical paralysis, that's bad. I'm watching my sister-in-law right now dwindle away day by day, day by day with ALS. We know the outcome of that. She knows the outcome of that. And what she is experiencing and what her husband is experiencing and her children are experiencing and all of our family are experiencing, we're experiencing suffering because we don't want that. We want our conditions changed. We love Phyllis. And you've been there with your loved ones. I know you have. So we have an idea about suffering. This man had, was a suffering man. To live without the ability to move is to live without freedom. Think about that for a moment. My sister-in-law right now, she's not even free to eat. She's in bondage. She has a tube on her side that feeds her. She can't speak. bondage. She's in bondage to her body, an inner body. And I think that this man was experiencing bondage. I don't know how long he'd experienced bondage, but I do know this, that some of you here this evening are in bondage. And you're paralyzed by sin, and you've lived in this bondage and in this suffering long enough. I know that. And it's time to be free from it. Bondage is synonymous with suffering, you know. It always has been throughout the Scripture. Job 36 and 8 says, And if they be bound in fetters, and be holden on cords of afflictions, then he showeth them their work and their transgressions that they have exceeded. The suffering of this man was due to the bondage of paralysis. The world today is in bondage and in suffering of sin. And maybe you've experienced that just long enough in your life and you're tired of it. And you've been looking for a way to be free. To be free of the bondage of the suffering of sin and we find it in Jesus and in this story. And there's no other freedom to be had. Exodus 1 and 13 talks about the Egyptians enslaving the Israelites. And it says in verse 13, And the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with rigor. Now that means with great difficulty. I believe this is a type of suffering today that many people, all of us have experienced at one time, or another, and perhaps you were experiencing tonight of being enslaved to sin, and it's a rigorous life. It is a life filled with suffering. Notice in four, verse 14, and they made their lives bitter with hard bondage. 
This story is not just for entertainment purposes. This story is to teach us a type of the suffering that Jesus came to relieve. And that relief of suffering is found in his freedom. But until we find his freedom, we are still suffering in the rigors of sin. Serving in a life filled with bondage. How many tonight are suffering with bondage of sin that you can't seem to break? I made mention uh, one, in one lesson already this week. And I probably will say it again, but I want to tell these young folks here this evening, you can pick up things when you're a child or when you're young, an adolescent, even a small, very small child. But the teenage years are our most dangerous years in my mind because so many changes that are, that are going on. But you can pick up things in those years that you will spend the rest of your life trying to be free from if you're not careful. And the only way that we're going to find this freedom from these things that bind us is through coming to this man, this man Jesus. Romans 8.21 says, Because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. The bondage of corruption. So when we think about our life, following a life filled with sin and being in bondage to sin, we're thinking of, I believe, an appropriate thought path would be a life of bondage and corruption. It's very difficult for many people to see this, and sometimes they have to get so low that they scrape their belly. And they have to get what is called rock bottom before they experience it. And then finally, one day they wake up and say, you know, I've suffered long enough, and I want to be relieved from this. This blessed man, however, was not left alone to suffer. He had some friends. There was a compassion and an urgency of friends that I implore you this evening for you to have, especially if you are a Christian. When you look around this audience this evening, look around at the people that you can uh, affect in your life with compassion, with forgiveness, with understanding. This man had uh, a group of compassionate friends. He was carried by four men who desired to put him in the presence of Jesus. I want you to think about that for a second. How much do you love your daughter? Your son? Your husband? Your wife? How compassionate are you? Are you compassionate enough to bear them to Jesus? To carry them to the one who can set them free from sin? This man had four friends. Now, I want you to think about not only your immediate family, but I want you to think about the person down the street from you. I want you to think about the man in the next town from you that you don't even know. Think about the man in the next state, in the next country. See, we're all people. We're all wanting the same thing, and we're all desiring the same thing. Everybody wants to be made free. But they don't know how to be made free because they're paralyzed. They're paralyzed by sin. Uh, 
Paul writes to the Corinthians, he says that the God of this world hath blinded their eyes. Another analogy on this, of course, would be the blindness that the world offers. Now let me ask you this evening, do you have friends tonight that are the reason why you're here? Because they love you enough that they made an invitation for you to come to this assembly where people of like faith can sing and can worship and we can look at things like this in its simplicity out of the Word of God because they are deeply concerned about your soul. I want to tell you, if that's true, you are a blessed man or woman. We also need to see the urgency of this mission. It's interesting to see how urgent they took it, these four friends, and how lackadaisical oftentimes we are with our sense of urgency. These four friends saw it urgent enough that they were willing to wade through the crowds. That's obstacles. To wade through all of the things that would be a hindrance to them, but we need to get this man to Jesus. Because he holds the answers. How urgent are you in your mission? We're given this commission to preach the gospel. But my question is, how much compassion do you have toward people? Because if you don't love people, you're not going to have the compassion that's going to cause you to go through the obstacles. Sometimes we don't even love ourselves enough. And when we consider the immortality of the soul, our own soul, and we're not willing to make an effort to come to the one who holds the key, well, I've got other things. I've got other things in my life. I've got things that are hindering me. Yes, there's a crowd of things. Maybe your own family, according to Jesus. How compassionate, how urgent are you in the field of evangelism, in the field of personal evangelism, in the field of individual evangelism to the point that you're going to say, I'm going to take an account of my own life and I'm going to measure my own life by the Word of God and I'm going to see where I stand if I'm in this bondage and how I can be made free. I want to ask you, will you help your fellow man be healed from his sins? His sins are what's caused him to be in bondage and suffering. You'll wear a mask for your fellow man. You'll social distance for your fellow man. I will too. I'll have a sense of urgency for my physical needs. I'm, I'm just like you. I will too. It's foolish not to. Let's get past that. Let's look, let's look down the road. Do I have a sense of urgency for my fellow man's soul? He's dying. And the death is much worse than anything we can ever experience physically. How urgent are we? These four men took this man and they couldn't get in because of the press of people, so they just decided they'd take drastic measures. Drastic measures for drastic times. 
They climbed the roof. And they went up there on this roof. I'm a person that don't like to be on a roof. I'm going to be honest with you. You can look at me and my sense of balance. Is, it's not what it was when I was 16. I'll just put it that way. I don't want to be on a roof. That would be something that would be a severe obstacle for me. I look at that as something that is an extreme sacrifice. Not only that, but the effort of tearing a hole in that roof so they could lower this man down to Jesus. <clears throat> and sometimes we're not even willing to make a phone call. Or to send a card. Or to make a personal invitation. We're so worried about the physical that we can't see the spiritual. These men took extreme measures for extreme times. And they knocked a hole in this roof and they lowered him down to Jesus. The Bible says there in verse 20 that when he saw their faith, you see, faith can be seen. I can put a sign up out here on the interstate. We talked about the sign that said, I love you, <laughs> on the interstate. And, and you could say, oh, that church says they love me. But they don't know me. I saw a sign coming down. It made me think of this, to be frank with you. And I thought how effective, wondered how effective that was. Now, that's a good message. I love you. That's a great message. It's another great message to say, this is a church of faith. And then sit back and do nothing. It's not a church of faith. It's a church that says they have faith. A church that says I love you and then has no actions to follow up. They're not compassionate. If you're one of these people that want the work to be done, but you're not willing to do the work, you might want to do a litmus test of your faith. These men had faith. And it was a faith that was such that could be seen by our Lord and by all those round about. You see, we have an obligation. We have an obligation to our family. I, as I was, when I was younger... My wife and I, we had a lot of ambition. We worked hard. And I looked for the day that I could retire and do church work. There's nothing wrong with having ambition. Have the ambition. But also have an obligation. Have the obligation to preach the gospel. Have the obligation to your children. I want to ask every parent here this evening. If you go to heaven and your children don't. Will you consider your life to be a success? Well, you say, I went to heaven. I want to tell you, I have an obligation to my kids. I have an obligation to my wife. I told you that we were ambitious and that we had goals and we set goals and we established and we met a lot of goals, my wife and I did. But there's one goal that is yet to be seen 
whether or not we will ever realize it, whether or not we have realized it. But I want to see my children in heaven. I want to see them walk in there and I want to be able to grasp them and hold them and say, I love you and I'm glad you're here. I have an obligation. I tell you, I want to see you there. I really do. And I have an obligation to you. These men loved this man and had compassion to the point and had faith enough that they were willing to brave all of the obstacles, go through all the hardships because they saw the obligation. You have an obligation to this church, to your community. You have an obligation. Now, you have an obligation to your nation to be a good citizen, but I'm going to tell you, your obligation as a citizen of the kingdom of God far exceeds that as importance. And we need to place that as importance. If you neglect your loved ones, who will carry the burden? If you're not willing to carry your loved ones to Jesus, who will? Are you going to wait for the four men? Sometimes all we can do is pray. I'll grant you that. Don't quit praying. You have an obligation. I had a woman that was much older than me, believe it or not, told me, she said, the worst mistake a parent can ever make is to give up. Don't ever give up. If all that you've got left is prayer, prayer is powerful. You have an obligation. Carry that burden, that burden of obligation. Carry it, because they need Jesus. If I neglect to support my neighbor, will they ever find Jesus? I can't count on that. I've got to take my obligation as personal. And the people that I know and the people that my life affects, I want to affect them in a good and powerful way. And do we have the faith that can be seen? Is your faith visible? You see, our cry is simply this, come and see. The woman at the well said, come see a man who told me all things I ever did. She ended up converting a whole town. Just by that message of come and see. Why, when the brothers followed Jesus, they went and told their other brother, come see a man. Come and see. That's our invitation. Our invitation is to sow the word. Our obligation is to sow the word in every opportunity that we can. Somebody says, I'm not going to be a Bible thumper. Well, don't be a Bible thumper. Just carry the word. <laughs> then there are some that are the critics of Jesus. Verse 21 says, And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this which speaketh blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? They failed to accept him as deity. And there's a reason why, if you are here this evening and you are still in your sins, there's a reason for that. Is you have not yet accepted the fact that Jesus is God. If he is God, then his words are immortal. If he is God, then he is worthy to be praised. If he is God, we have an obligation to obey him. 
If he is God, he can do all things. If he is God, he knows all things. If he is God. If he is God, he can free me from my sins. If he's God. But if I want to take the position of the critics, I will forever say, I know I am not a perfect person, but I'm better than they are. And I've done some things that I don't know if I can ever be forgiven of. I want to tell you there's nothing that you have done, no place that you've ever been, that Christ cannot rescue you from. He loves you. And he's compassionate. And we are indeed a blessed man when we can come to the feet of Jesus and not be a critic. The emphasis of the healing in this story is one of spiritual and not physical. The power of the Lord was present to heal them, the scripture says. You know, I pointed that out at the very beginning of this lesson. That in itself says this is a spiritual emphasis and not physical emphasis. And the critics of Jesus were critical when they asked him, well, who could forgive sins? He can't forgive sins. He's just a man. Why, he's probably from Nazareth over there. And I think I knew him working in the carpenter shop. Jesus answered, whether it's easier to say thy sins be forgiven thee or to say rise up and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man hath power upon earth to forgive sins. He said to the sick of palsy, say unto thee, arise and take up thy couch and go to thine house. Jesus could have healed this man any time. I want to tell you something else about Jesus. When he was walking on this earth, he could have spoke one word. And healed everybody. Everybody. He could have wiped out all of these dreadful diseases that we experience with one word, but he didn't. And the reason why is because our physical existence is not why he came. He came that we can be forgiven of sins and be set free. Forever. Colossians 2.13 says that you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh hath he quickened together with him having forgiven you all trespasses. We see in this story a man who was indeed blessed. He was blessed because he came into the company of Jesus. That's who I'm preaching this evening. That's who I want you to know. I want you to come to him. I have no other recipe. I have no other formula for your bondage. I have no other formula. I only have Jesus, and he's enough. He is sufficient. If you're here this evening and you're just tired of the bondage of sin. We're going to sing a song and we're going to invite you to come and to take a seat up here on front. We will help you. If you need baptism, you've never been baptized into the Lord and put on Christ. We have water ready. We want to do that this evening. We want you to be free.
We want you to be quickened and to be made alive. To be able to get up from the bed of affliction that sin has put you on. And to be free. If you're here this evening and you become sick with sin and the paralysis is growing more real to you every day Scripture teaches us that if we confess our sins He's faithful and just to forgive us If you're a member of the Lord's body and you need prayers prayers for help prayers for forgiveness we have a group of people here this evening that love you we want you to know Jesus and know his freedom. Come, as together we stand and sing.